so I hadn't really planned on saying this, but <laughs> last night I was in here in the church and uh, sitting in that lovely stuffed chair at the back. I just said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it if your spirit doesn't come, if your power doesn't come. I'm just so done. I'm so done just going. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to be a powerless church. I don't want to be a place that just gathers and doesn't see change. I want to be a place that sees people set free. I want to see redemption. I want to see salvation. I want to see healing. I want to see people filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to see this town changed. I want to see, God, what you want. All the words and the things that you have spoken over this place. God, we want to see them come. We want to see them come. We want to see them come. And I got, I said, please, please give us a hunger in our hearts for more. Give us a hunger in our hearts for what you want to see. Give us a hunger in your hearts for this time and this place or wherever it is the Lord has placed you that I won't be like the king who said, oh, well, judgment will come after I'm gone. I want to see the works of God in my generation for this time and this place. And so, Lord, I pray for a hunger. I pray for a thirst, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness and truth. Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for your solutions. God, that we wouldn't settle for man's solutions, or we wouldn't settle to just be on the sidelines saying, oh, it's it's not affecting me that much. Oh, isn't that too bad? Oh, this is just another day in not paradise. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So, God, I just pray you would stir our hearts, stir our hearts, stir our hearts, stir our hearts, God, stir our hearts that we would believe, God, that you have things that you created beforehand, you have good works that we would walk in them, and God, we wouldn't be so busy, or Lord, so filled with the things of the world that we don't hear your voice, that we don't know what you're saying because we're too dull, and we're not attuned to what you're doing, so God, I pray that you would tune us into your station, tune us into the Holy Spirit, tune us into your voice, God, that we could hear and obey. Lord, that we wouldn't just get to the end of our days and say, oh, well, you know, we that's what we did. And then we would then get before you and say, this is what could have been. And, I, and you don't, you don't, you don't judge us like that, God, but you, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if we just exercise the faith to say, God, you are magnificent. Come and be magnificent in our midst. Come and be magnificent in our town. Come and be magnificent in each of us, God, that we would carry your glory, that we would carry your glory, that we would carry your glory, that we would carry your glory. Lord, Peter walked down the street in his shadow, healed people. Lord, and you said greater things than these that you did, and you raised the dead. You caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, the lepers to be cleansed. You raised the dead. Lord, and you said greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. And so, Lord, put that in our hearts, Lord, that it's not so far out there, that it's not impossible. You wouldn't have said it if it wasn't possible. And so, God, I, I just pray that you would give our hearts a hunger, give our heads a shake, God, that you would put us in that refiner's fire that Brian sang about this morning, that we would be refined as pure gold, God, and that we would live to see your kingdom come. We would live to see your will be done 
all around us, God, and there would be such joy, such joy in walking by your Holy Spirit. Give us, God, give us more of you. Give us a hunger for you, God. We repent of apathy. We repent of being busy. We repent of being unconcerned, God. We repent and we turn to you, God. We turn to you and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And God, start with me. Start with me, God. Start with me. Amen. Amen. So the rest of the story is then I went into the back sorting room and I had my phone on and I was playing a playlist that I had played many, many times. And a song came on that I've never heard before. And it was called Help is on the Way. <laughs> and I just burst into tears all afresh. <laughs> and uh, don't you love it when he does that? And I'm like, how did I get on that playlist? <laughs> right? So I played it about four times. And my heart's pretty convinced that help is on the way. Because he doesn't change, and he has called us and equipped us. Uh, Lolo, can we have Acts 9, NIV, please? Anybody know what Acts 9 is about? Can't remember. As soon as I say it, you'll go, oh, yeah, right? Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion. So Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, is breathing out threats. So I'll just start, I'll start to read. NIV, please, yeah. Yeah, from uh, one. We'll see. We've got a new computer, in case you didn't know. We've got a lot of new going on around here. We've got a new sound system. We've got a new computer. And um, that's, it's just a lot. It's, Lorraine's car is the first one here on a Sunday morning now because she's like, oh, i got to get this computer figured out. So bless you, Lolo, like you didn't have anything else to do. Oh, bless you. Thank you. There's a, we got two of the three signs up, um, our sign with the time, and then the food bank, which is called Community Resource Center. And then um, we have a great big sign that's going to go on the dark blue above that that says the Hope Center. Right? That's, that's what this building's always been called. So, yeah. Bless the Lord. Hope and hope. So, meanwhile, I'll just start reading, follow along on, in your Bibles. Um, or your phones, however you're doing that. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This, this is, um, we just had the account of Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. He was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what it was, the new believers were called, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days 
he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here's, it's just good to picture because I find that sometimes we can, we can read things in scripture and they become really familiar, and, but we don't really sort of imagine the equivalent in our lives today and what that might look at look like. I, I just had this discussion recently about false teachers. Everybody agrees false teachers are not good, and they agree, you know, that what we should do about false teachers. But uh, it's it's just stunning to me that some of the false teachers are not identified or dealt with in the in the way that you might think would be biblically uh, prescribed. And so sometimes we see these things. And so here's this guy who's persecuting the church. And he's absolutely zealous. We just are studying Romans on the Wednesday night group. In Romans 10, Paul says, there are Jews who have zeal without knowledge. <laughs> and he's probably speaking about himself as the epitome of that. Because here was a guy who was a zealous Jew to the point that he was killing Christians because he thought they were off base. He thought they were off track. And so we're coming into a time when we are not going to be the top of the pile of favorite people in society, right? We're, we're there. We are, we're, not the, we're not the favorite people in society. And people are going to persecute us because of Christ. The most encouraging thing about this, other than God's complete sovereign choice of this terrorist to make him one of the most influential people in the kingdom ever, is is that he says, you are persecuting me. And Jesus says, whatever you do to my body, you do to me. And, I, you know, we've just gone through 1 John. And so I just, I just want us to know that whatever we do to the body, we do to Jesus. So it behooves us, to use a good KJV word, it behooves us to be very good to one another, to be very kind to one another, because when we are good to one another, we're good to Jesus. And when we're not good to one another, Jesus takes that in. He, it, that's him. We are his body. That's how intimately connected to him we are. And so, so Jesus says, Saul, what you've been doing, killing my kids, you're doing to me. I'm feeling it. You're persecuting me. And it's just so comforting to me to know, and, and you know, anyone who's read accounts from the persecuted church um, just knows that they, they are so comforted by the presence of Christ. Jesus is just with them in their persecution when they are being tortured for the Lord. And Jesus is right there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Romans 10 this week, never really seen this verse in this light, but it says, if you he who calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. And Brian and I talked about this this week on the phone. And we always think about, you know, God will take my shame. God has taken my shame. But he says, you will never be put to shame. That's a whole new level for me. I don't, I don't know. That's like, I will never be put to shame. That he is with me and he has my back. And... Um, that he, what happens to me happens to him. And so Saul got up and he goes into Damascus and he's blinded. And he, um, he is told in Damascus, now we read in, in verse uh, 10, 9, 10. In Damascus, this is Damascus of Syria, <clears throat> there was a disciple named Ananias. 
And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. He says, it's not Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias. How do we know that? They're already gone. <laughs> that was chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and wanted to look better than they were. I just want us to take one moment there. <laughs> All they did was they wanted to look better than they actually were. They were giving a massive portion, I imagine, to the Lord. But they wanted to look better to people than they actually were. So they tweaked reality a bit. <laughs> That's very sobering. That's very sobering. So this is a different Ananias of Syria. And he wasn't in Jerusalem. He's in Damascus. And the Lord calls to him. And Ananias means favorite of the Lord, by the way. Yes, Lord, he said. Always good start. And the Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And already you can just feel like Ananias, the hackles on Ananias' back are probably starting to tingle and go, oh, what? Right? You know who that is? For he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. So here is uh, Saul who has probably never heard the voice of the Lord in his life, hears God, meets Jesus basically face-to-face, -face, has this encounter, and it is, his world is turned upside down. He knows scripture inside and out, and he's going, oh my gosh, I've so missed it. <laughs> you can be in the word of God and so miss it. Isn't that scary? Like there are lots of people, maybe not so many people nowadays, there are people who are in the word of God. I've studied with them when I studied with Precept Ministries in Tennessee. There were people who were studying the word like six hours a day, and they did not know the voice of the Lord. And I was like, oh, this is like Pharisees, right? So we never want to be people who don't encounter the, the spirit of God in the word of God. So uh, there's Saul praying, and he had, then has a vision. So he meets Jesus, and now he has a vision. So he's kind of getting the full-on supernatural in indoctrination here he's he's meeting this kingdom that he's he thought he knew about and he sees a vision of a man named Ananias coming and restoring his sight so Ananias is uh, a pretty regular guy and he says Lord I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem and saints is the biblical word for believers uh, so often when I send you guys emails, I'll say, you know, saints. Hey, saints, studying saints, praying saints. We are saints because we're sanctified by the blood of Christ. And he has come here, Saul, with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I love that, that that's also how Ananias delineates believers. He says, those who call on your name. And, you know, we know the scripture that says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But isn't it interesting to note that saints, believers, are defined as those who call on the name of the Lord? Because we do it continually, right? That's where we live. <laughs> we call on the name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord. Other people are calling on all sorts of other systems, which are letting them down right now, right? <laughs> Governments, medical systems. There's all sorts of things we can call on. But we call on the name of the Lord first and foremost. And we ask, Lord, what are you doing? What are you about? What, what's my role in this? So Ananias says, um, he's come here with authority to arrest all who call 
on your name. He's not unaware, and I don't think he's not <laughs> more than a little uh, concerned and po probably terrified. And the Lord says to Ananias, I think it's interesting, too, that Ananias brings up where the authority is from, <laughs> the chief priests, and God's kind of like, yeah, I, don't worry, I trump that, right? I've got more authority than the chief priests. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. He probably could have just stopped there because that's enough. If God says to do it, we're supposed to be, as I would say to my children, quick to obey or you will pay, right? We can had three sons, so it had to be a tight ship, right? And they got bigger than me very quickly. So it's like quick to obey or you will pay. Uh, so, so God says to Ananias, go, go. I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. And I love this. Somebody said to me recently, if God has all authority, how much did that leave for the enemy? Say it again. Yeah, that would be zero. Yeah, the big fat zero. He's just a squatter, right? He's just a squatter. So God says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, Gentiles and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God, we talk about things in the works that we don't know about, hey, John? Saul's going along his merry way thinking, I am God's right-hand man. I'm cleaning up this place. I am keeping righteousness for the Lord. God must be so proud of me. And God says, I've called you for something else. I'm going to take all that head knowledge you've had and all that zeal that's been so misguided, and I'm going to use you to impact the world for generations to come and to build the kingdom through the letters you're going to write from jail. Right? He's got a plan. He says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. Then Ananias went. Go, Ananias. And it doesn't say Ananias went home and talked to his wife and said, I, I think I need to fast and pray about this for three days. He goes, which uh, some would argue that instant obedience is the only obedience, right? Uh, delayed obedience is not really obedience, though God is gracious. And Ananias went to the house and he entered it. And I just, you know, just put yourself in those shoes or those sandals and just like imagine Imagine going in, meeting. I always think of Osama bin Laden. I know he's gone. But put your, put your, you know, your uh, exemplary bad guy in there, whoever you wouldn't like to meet in person. And uh, that's who he is. And, and so and Ananias is walking in there going, take a deep breath, Ananias, right? And listen to the words out of his mouth. Brother Saul. It's not what I would expect. I think however far it was from Ananias' house to Straight Street, God just did this work in his heart because he gets the body of Christ because they're dying together. They're not just living together and sharing food and the apostles' teaching. They're dying together. They know that this could cost them their life. And so when God says, this guy is part of my plan and your job is to obey, I'll let you ask a question, and I gave you an answer, but it starts with this answer. Do as I say. Because he is Lord. 
and he has our best in mind. But you know what? And any of you, like Brian says, any of you who, who know, I have this thing about the hobby horse of bringing people into the kingdom and saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Tell Saul that. Yeah, he did. Tell Saul that, though, right? Tell Isaiah that, who tradition says was sawn in two. God loves you, Isaiah, and has a wonderful plan for your life. But while you're hiding in that hollow tree, they saw you in half. And that's how you enter the kingdom. Glory. Hallelujah. I'm on it. Sign me up. Right? This is not a parachute ride. It's not your life jacket sort of salvation. God's very serious. He's very serious. And he's so worthy to be served and to be adored and to be obeyed. And that's where I think God is bringing it to a balance now, that he's not just our savior. He rescues us. I love that. I love that he took me from the domain of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of light and the son he loves. But he's king and he's Lord and he's looking for a church who knows that they're weak and can do nothing without him because he has things to do in the earth and he does it mostly through his body. Very rarely is he doing stuff sovereignly. He's got Saul pegged, but he says, I need somebody to go do the groundwork. Where are my foot soldiers? Ah, there's Ananias in Damascus. There's Ananias. I'll send him. He'll go. And Ananias went, and he goes in, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. So you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I want you to look back. If you're looking at the text, look back and tell me who does the scripture say Ananias was? A disciple. What? What's a disciple? Somebody tell me the definition of a disciple. A follower. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes a student. The rabbis would have disciples. So that word came to be a disciple specifically of Christ, but other people, other teachers, and even philosophers had had disciples. So here was Ananias. You know what's super encouraging to me? It says Ananias was a disciple. It doesn't say Ananias was a superhero. It doesn't say Ananias was an apostle. It doesn't say Ananias was a prophet. It doesn't say Ananias was a healer. It doesn't say Ananias was known for laying his hands on people and getting them healed or baptized with the Holy Ghost. It says Ananias was a a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And Ananias is in Damascus of Syria. So I'm guessing Ananias wasn't with the 12 or with the 70 when Jesus sends them out. So here's Ananias who just heard the gospel and believed And God says, I see you, and you're my guy for this mission. And you have everything you need. Maybe Ananias didn't know he had everything he needed until he did this. 
And, he's, and God says, you're a disciple. You got everything you need. Anybody a disciple in the room? Show me your hands. Come on. Come. Oh, I like the two-hand response. Come on. Some of you are disciples. Yes. Hallelujah. You have everything you need. So tell me what Ananias did in Christ. What did he do concerning Saul? It's in the text. He went. He obeyed. Let's start with that. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. And he went. He went immediately. He obeyed. What did he do next? He called him brother. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to stay here a second. If, you know, God moves in his heart in such a way that he can say to this guy who was trying to kill him and his family and everybody he loved and all of the church of God in Damascus, and and. God can do such a work in his heart that he can look at this guy the first time he meets him and say, Brother Saul, I recognize Christ in you, and whatever's gone behind, it doesn't matter anymore. Whatever you've done, it's under the blood. If you've believed, you're new, and we're made one, and we're family. You know, this week I encountered several times people who got tripped up on somebody's past you know, and just kind of disqualified them because of who they used to be. And I was just like, God, when you are in Christ, you are made new. That's the whole deal. You're born from above. You're made new. You're a new person. And everything is washed away. And it says it goes into the sea of forgetfulness. And God remembers it no more. And you're like, oh, God, you know, that time when I screwed up. And God's like, what? I don't remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. It's under the blood. But believers, sometimes we're not so gracious. You know, we kind of go, oh, yeah, well, but you know what? He was like this, and he did this, or he did that. And we, we do it. We keep records, guys. And we, we need to list, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. And just see that person in front of you and say, God, let let me in my mind just be washed new and see them the way you see them. See them made whole. See them made new. See them restored. So I can walk with them as part of the body because, you know, it's really, would be really annoying if, like, my big toe and my knee decided to, like, get, you know, have this fight. It would be very awkward, you know. Any part of my, two parts of my body deciding not to cooperate, it's very awkward. It would be very inefficient. If my big toe and my knee don't get along, I probably am not going to be able to walk very well. just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it hurts the Lord. It just hurts the Lord so unexplainably when believers don't treat each other as Jesus. Because that's who we're loving Jesus in each other, in one another. And we just need to get over our bad selves and treat one another as Christ would treat each other and love each other. Ch chosen instrument. Yeah. Hallelujah. I know. Unpack that all, right? Yeah. There's so much, so much in here. Yeah. So Ananias gets it. And, um, Whatever he had against Saul, all of his preconceptions. I, I'm just going to give you this illustration. It's, it's an embarrassing one. But I give you this, in, in, this illustration of a preconception. The other day, I'm in my house, and there is this, like, 
aggressive, like, bah, 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 this big, bad knock on my door. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Who wants in my house that badly? And, you know, most of the people who kind of show up at my house regularly do not knock like that. So I'm like, you know, your heart just kind of goes, ah! you, you go to high alert, you know, the flight or flight, fight or flight thing. And I'm in my own house, so I'm like, okay. And so I open the door, and there's an elderly gentleman on my doorstep, and he's like ready to barge into my house. He's wearing an orange turban, just to give you a little full, full disclosure here. And I'm like, hello. And he says, hello. And I said, can I help you? And he says, hello. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what is going on, Lord? And my heart's just a pounding, right? So the Gord, Gord works at home, and so he, he comes out of his office, and, and he's like sort of their backup, because like obviously this is unusual. And I'm like, are you looking for somebody? And now I get it that this guy does not speak much English, right? I don't speak Punjabi or any, anything that might help. And I'm, I'm just like, can I help you? And he kind of is looking around, and... Um, I'm sort of blocking the entry into my house. <laughs> and, um, and, and again, it's just because of this very aggressive knock, my whole heart was sort of in, in uh, my perception was in a certain mode. And so eventually I'm like, do you want me to call somebody? But we're not being able to communicate very well. And so he turns around and he wanders up my driveway and he starts to wander down the street. And I'm like, Gordon and I are looking at each other like, what was that? <laughs> you know, what was that? And uh, honestly, and I, I've worked overseas, right? We lived overseas. We've lived in other cultures. I just wanted to say, if he hadn't had that turban on, I think I would have had a different reaction. But the knock and the turban scared me and just set me kind of on high alert. He was an elderly man who was lost. He was an elderly man who was lost. And he didn't speak English. And as I watched him wander down the street, I thought, Oh my goodness, the poor, poor guy, he's just lost. I don't know why he came so aggressively. And we don't have a car parked in our driveway because we park in the garage, so it looked like nobody was home, why he chose our place. And he started to just go down the street, knocking occasionally on doors. And I thought, oh, Jesus, did I, just, I totally misread that. All that to say, we totally misread situations sometimes because of our initial perception. Not just our initial perception. Sometimes we have a perception, and once we have those glasses on, like if these, my glasses were green, once I have green glasses on, then now I cannot see that what I'm looking at actually is not green because I've got this perception. And we do it all the time. And it was, I, I was like actually thanking the Lord for this reminder because I, I did not respond. I did not act like myself. I did not respond in, immediately in the love of Christ because I was so taken aback. Sometimes we can be in situations where we, we, or we are, have wrong perceptions and we may not even know we've got those glasses on until something kind of hits us from the side and says, actually, you're not seeing it, Sue, the way I see it. And I, that's one of the reasons we're in the word, right? And it's one of the reasons we need to always esteem others as better than ourselves because we never have the full read on a situation. Okay. All that to say that. But um, so here's Ananias. So, so what did Ananias do? He went 
He forgave. He accepted Saul as his brother. And then what did he do? Yeah. So he, it says, um, he sent me, the Lord sent me, so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he, he's obviously interfaced and interacted with Saul a bit. And, and then he lays hands on him and something like scales fall from Saul's eyes. So he heals him. He sees him baptized in the Holy Ghost. And uh, let me see again. Something like scales fell. You can see he got up and was baptized. That's water baptism. So he's healed. He's filled with the Holy Ghost and he's baptized in water. And Ananias was a superhero. Ananias was a disciple. Ananias was a disciple. So disciples have all they need. So why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, you have all you need in Christ. Nobody got Ken or Jenny. We need, we need some people to... Did, did anybody get you, Kim? No, you need to hear this. All right, try Kim. Get, don't let Kim. Somebody get Ken. Somebody get Jenny. Don't miss out. Yeah, whoa, that's even better when there's a name on it, right? You have all you need in Christ to do whatever he's asked you to do. Interesting that it wasn't Ananias' idea. That's a good starting point to observe, right? God told Ananias to go. It was God's idea. Bruce likes to say, you know, we have good ideas or we have God ideas. The good ideas can sometimes work out. The God ideas always work out. They work out for the best. So uh, do you think this is normal for a disciple to be able to see people saved, healed, baptized in water and filled with the Holy Ghost? No? It's not normal? Not normal now or not normal ever? Say that again? We might plant seeds and not see all of that happen, but if it was to happen all at once, would we see it? Do we have what we need to do it? Okay, that's what I want us to be convinced of. I have what I need. You know, this, this, since we've been back in North America from Africa, we noticed that people bring, believers bring people to church to get them saved. So what does that make the contents of messages being taught from the front have to be? Salvation messages? Has anybody seen this? If you have to have a seeker-friendly message all the time because most of the people in the seats are not believers, then it changes the tone of the church and what the church can accomplish and whether or not the church can be equipped as an army to see people saved. <laughs> and so the saints, actually the disciples have what they need to be seeing people saved wherever you are, in your workplace, on the street, in the grocery store, in the parking lot, at the doctor's office. Wherever you are, we can see people saved and God can say, go talk to that person. Go, go offer this person whatever, a drink of cold water. Do what the Lord says, and you have everything you need. 
to, to fill that up so that when, they, when they're coming into church, wow, what would that look like? What would that look like? What would that look like if, if um, you know, we see people on the street and, you know, you come to church and say, well, this week I met this family and, you know, we got talking and they got shared and the dad believed and then the mom believed and then all the kids believed and so we baptized them in my bathtub. Here they are, saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's go, right? That's what's coming. That's what's coming. And you have everything you need. Now, just so if you're not convinced, oh, I just wanted to read you this quote. Um, Francis of Assisi, everybody heard of, he's called Francis of Assisi. His, his real name, Italian name, is quite lengthier than that. But Fra- Francis of Assisi apparently, and this was 12th century he lived, was visited the Pope in Rome. And the Pope tried to impress Francis with the wealth of the Vatican. And after showing him all the treasures, the Pope referred to Acts chapter 3 and said, No longer can the church say, Silver and gold have I none. Moment for a gag there. To which Francis replied, And neither can it say, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We want to be the church that says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What I have, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I'll give it to you. And here's what we have, authority and the power of God through the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're not convinced that, that we are disciples and that this is for us, I like how we, we like to take all the things that are, are mentioned in uh, the letters of Paul and kind of go, well, yeah, that's, that's for us, that's for us. Luke documents Jesus sending out the 12 in Luke 9. And it says Jesus, when he called the 12 together, gave them, you got to listen to this, gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure all diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they went out from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. And, of course, cessationists, people who believe that all that died with the 12, say that was the 12. They were apostles. That's done now. But then after you have Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Peter's telling Jesus he's the Christ and the transfiguration and the healing of a boy with the evil spirit and the guy's arguing who's going to be greatest and Jesus saying what it costs to follow him, he gets a bunch more people. He gets 70 disciples. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he said, the harvest is plentiful But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. There's a whole bunch of instructions about just be a really gracious guest in a home. You know, eat what's put before you. Stay in one place. Why? Because they were to model. They were to model. Thessalonians talks about 
Paul says, we came to you and you imitated us. And now you are examples to your whole area. Model what you see. So Jesus said, go to a place and stay in one place so they can take on the attributes that you're carrying that are Christ-like. And he says, heal the sick. Luke 10, 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near. He who listens to you listens to me. Who who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And the disciples got all excited and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. So snakes and scorpions, people... You know, generally we want to think literally, but in that context, Satan was a snake in the garden, right? They're often representative of enemies' tactics. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Are you a disciple? So the argument for things died with the 12 doesn't really follow because he sends out 70 after that. And then he sends persecution on the church so that the people are scattered everywhere to bring the good news. And guess what? They continue to do the things that Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to continue doing the things that Jesus did. And all that he ever asks of us is faith, obedience and faith. And so I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, increase my faith, right? Increase my faith that I won't have fear of man, that it, it won't matter. I can go up to somebody and say, hey, I, I, I noticed you, you're limping. Do you believe in prayer? It's okay if I pray for you and see what God will do. See what God will do. Honestly, the miracles that I've seen, the spectacular, like, wow, newspaper headline miracles that I've seen have never been with believers. They've always been with unbelievers because God wants to get people's attention. I'm not making a rule out of that. I'm just saying in my experience. So be bold. The Holy Spirit was given to make us bold. So let's just pray. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for these saints. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you that you are the head of the body and you love us with this everlasting love. You just care for us so profoundly. And Lord, you give yourself. You didn't just give yourself on the cross. You're, you're always giving of, of yourself. You, you give. You, you suffer with us. You, you, you rejoice with us. You're with us in every moment. You always see us. You always hear us. And you are working all things together for our good. And you are building your eternal purposes in the earth because you have a plan. And nothing is going to stand in the way of that plan. And you're carrying it out through your body, through your people on the earth. You said it was better that you go so the Holy Spirit could come and you could have 
little Jesuses all over the earth, little people who would obey your word and follow your will. And so, God, we want to be those people. And we believe, we believe that we have enough to see your kingdom come and your will be done wherever we are, just as it is in heaven, because you said that. You told us to pray that. And you wouldn't tell us to pray things that are pointless or futile. You want to see that come, that, that happen, that is your will. And so, God, help us to pray with expectancy, to pray with faith, to pray um, believing that we could see systems change, we could see governments change, we could, we could see policies change, we could see hearts changed, we could see society changed from the inside out as we speak your word and follow you into the exciting adventures of the king. Lord, call us, stamp our hearts with courage and boldness. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we could um, ignite fires, God, wherever we go. In the mighty name of Jesus.